Philippians 4, 4-13 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Sometimes I like to take shortcuts in life. Now, sometimes the shortcut is indeed just the shortest route from point A to point B. But sometimes the shortcut is about avoiding something or even someone. And it really doesn't qualify as a shortcut any longer because it ends up taking longer, a lot longer. Sometimes the shortcuts are harmless, like the one I'm going to share with you now and confess For a couple of years, I wore pants with a hem that I had stapled together when it had come undone. Yep, I was just too lazy to get it hemmed properly, and so I stapled it. And this wasn't just like a quick fix. I did this for over like two years, and would just continue to restaple that. Now, I want you to know, most people don't look at the hem of your pants, right? I bet you didn't even know here at the church that I had pants that were stapled shut. But my mom did teach me better than this, and I think she would want me to tell you that. Sometimes the shortcuts that I take are not so harmless. A few years ago, there was a rift in a relationship between me and a friend, and it was incredibly hurtful for both of us. And because I didn't really want to deal with the hard, I just tried the path of least resistance. I just pretended like there was no conflict at all. I talked about anything but the one thing we probably should have talked about, and I just would never face it. I would put a smile on my face and walk around while this elephant was in the room, and as elephants do, it just got larger and larger until one day I couldn't avoid it any longer, and we had to face it. Now, thankfully, God has done some amazing healing in that relationship, but I sure didn't make it easy. And that shortcut definitely took a lot longer and it cost a lot more than if I had just faced it instead of avoiding the conflict. Well, here's the thing, friends. We can't just staple life or relationships when they begin to unravel. Now, we try. Oh, how we try. We we pretend all is well, all is calm, all is controlled, all is at peace. On the surface, we project that all is good, but underneath, we know it is anything but good. And this season, I imagine we feel this way even more. 
We sing about silent nights where all is calm, but we live in loud days where we're all two seconds from a total breakdown in aisle nine. I love peace and calm. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, a system of personality typing, I am a nine, and they are referred to as the peacemakers. We want nothing more than peace on earth, goodwill for all. We just don't always like the heart of the conflict that might be necessary to make true peace possible. It's really tempting to take shortcuts, and it's easier to create an illusion of peace, to gloss over or avoid hard things, or to lose ourselves in numbing activities, or to ignore anything that might feel like conflict. It's easy, really tempting, to make lack of friction feel like real peace to sweep things under the rug and just call it good. So while we are called peacemakers, often we function as peacekeepers. And there's a really big difference between the two. Real peace, the peace of Christ, isn't about a lack of conflict. As Jesus gathers some of his closest friends and followers together in the upper room on the eve of the darkest day of Christ's time on earth, a time when Christ endured betrayal and abandonment by some of his closest friends, and as he prepared for torture and a very painful crucifixion, in the midst of all of that, Jesus said to his believers then and to us today in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The Apostle Paul, a devoted follower of Jesus, understood this as well. Now Paul is the author of our scripture passage today that Abby read for us earlier. And Philippians is a letter. It's a letter that was written to Paul to some followers of Jesus in a city of Philippi. And it was a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Now Paul doesn't tell us really what he was arrested for or what he's being accused of. But he does say that his imprisonment is for Christ. So while Paul is in prison, he is very much aware that really the gospel is on trial. And in that setting, in that prison, Paul writes a letter about joy and contentment. Now, I don't know about you. But if I ever find myself in prison or in jail and someone hands me some stationery and a pen, I don't really know that my letter home is going to be about joy and contentment. I mean, who would really expect that? But how can Paul, in prison, write from a place of peace? And how can we, with all the things going on in our lives and our world, live from a place of peace? Now, I think it's really important that we begin with talking about what peace is because there are some really confusing notions about it. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the Bible, in the Hebrew scripture, what we call the Old Testament, God's peace or shalom meant so much more than just the absence of conflict. It meant so much more than living unbothered by life. The longing for God's shalom, God's peace, included those things, but for Jewish believers, peace was so much bigger and richer and broader. Shalom meant not only an inner or spiritual peace, it meant wholeness and the welfare of all creation. And in the Hebrew scripture, it was frequently used in reference to the wellness 
of others. It meant all brokenness would be set right and, and healed. It meant that people would love one another. And not just in word, but more importantly, in action. You see, for the Jews, the hope of shalom was wrapped in a person. Someone is coming, and they believed that person would open the door to peace. The question was who? And the prophet Isaiah put it this way in a passage we read often this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the Greek word for peace is arene. It means oneness or unity or to bring multiple parts together to form a whole or to set it whole or right again. For example, when two friends who reconcile after a fight, they are making irene, which means they have come back together and they have restored the relationship. It is whole. So knowing this understanding of shalom and this understanding of irene, we can see that the peace of God is really different from the peace of the world. See, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is working through the conflict to bring peace into our relationships. And to bring peace into our relationships, it really does begin with me. Just like the song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. See, I can't be an effective instrument of peace for God until I find peace in my relationship with God. And much of what Paul writes in our text today gives guidance on how to receive the gift of God's peace and how to be people of peace. Let's walk together through some of these verses. Verses 4 through 5 of Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Paul encouraged the believers to be known for gentleness and fairness. The Greek word translated as gentleness describes a temperament seasoned with maturity. It envisions an attitude fitting to the occasion, level-headedness, and fairness. Basically, believers don't need to lose their cool or their mind. We are known and need to be known as even-tempered people, fair-minded people, gentle people. But why? Not only because this is the kind of life that God dreams for those that he loves, but because it stands in contrast to the world around us. And it makes people ask, it doesn't make sense. How are you so calm all the time? How do you not react to all these things going on in life? Why do you live this way? Paul says, let your gentleness, your level-headed temperament be known to everyone. And then when they ask how in the world you are the way you are, you can tell them. It is because of Christ. But how do we become people of gentleness and even temperedness? I mean, how do I not lose my ever-loving mind, Mel? Maybe you're asking that. Well, Paul has some practical advice for us in this text as well. Let's look at verses 6 through 7. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People of peace aren't people without problems. 
People of peace are people who have learned to surrender those problems, to surrender the worries of those problems to God. They seek God. They lead with worship and gratitude, setting down their worry and their fear so that they are free to pick up the peace of God instead. In other words, as you do your part and release the worry to God, trusting that God is who God says God is and will do what God says God will do, when we give our worries to God, God gifts us back with peace. It doesn't always make sense, and it doesn't always look logical to others or to ourselves, but not being able to understand doesn't mean it isn't truth. Or at least that's what all my math teachers told me back in school. Paul says, you won't understand it, but trust me. Worship God. Thank God. Trust God. And in return, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. The Bible repeatedly tells us in various places to guard our heart and our mind for our life is shaped by them. So guarding them means to be very mindful of what we focus on and think on, what we set our minds and our hearts on, what we nourish and feast on. Like the old saying, you are what you eat, we are what we think. And when we choose to live thanking God and trusting God, setting our minds and hearts on God, we focus on God's presence and God gifts us that peace with his presence. See, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is trusting the presence of God at work in the conflict. Paul concludes this portion of his letter to the Philippians with reminders on what else to set our minds on and how to live as people of peace. See, the human mind will always set itself on something, And Paul wished and hoped for the Philippians that they would set their minds on the right things. And so he lists some of these in verses 8 through 9. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. While God guards our hearts, we are also commanded to focus our lives on things that please God, to make a deliberate choice, to set our attention on positive things, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's an ongoing back and forth throughout a lot of Paul's writings that God is most assuredly and actively at work in our lives. And at the same time, believers are commanded to live according to God's ways. God does the work, yet gives us work to do as well. We are invited to receive God's peace and invited to be instruments of God's peace. Following Jesus is not simply a matter of enjoying peace in my heart, or in my relationship with God. Jesus calls us to join his revolutionary movement of bringing shalom or peace to a broken world, to be peacemakers, not simply peacekeepers. And we begin this peacemaking journey in our homes and our neighborhoods and our families. We look for the brokenness around us and join God in the work of bringing wholeness and oneness and restoration to others. The work of shalom, the work of irene, the work of peace.
This work won't involve shortcuts. Stapling a hymn won't cut it out in peacemaking. And it isn't something that we can do on our own. It is the work of Christ, the Prince of Peace, and he calls us to join him. And here is the really good news for you and for me. He doesn't call the perfect. He calls the ones familiar with brokenness. The ones who live dependent on the peace of God themselves. People like you and me. You see, peace, again, is not the absence of brokenness. Peace is trusting the presence of God at work in the brokenness. Now, this Advent season, you may wish for and need some peace and quiet. You may need to lock yourself in the bathroom for a few moments of alone time from the little ones or maybe even the big ones. You may need a snow day or two or a night off with no expectations or obligations or complications. You may need just a quiet morning to enjoy a cup of coffee and the stillness of your house. And if I were Santa, I would grant you all of those things because you deserve them. But the gift that I really wish for you, the gift better than all of these, is the gift of true peace, God's peace. The gift that whispers to you during the struggles, you're not alone. The gift that whispers to you during the unknown, you are loved. The gift that whispers to you in anxious moments, you are safe. The gift that whispers to you, I choose you. Let's bring peace to a broken world together. As we near the end of our journey to the manger, as we celebrate the coming of the Christ child this week, let us remember and let us give thanks for the gifts that last, the gifts of hope and love and joy and peace, and most importantly, the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you for the gift of peace, true peace. This call, God, to lean and depend on you, to be content in Christ and nothing of this world or even in our own abilities, God, because they will fail us. That the strongest foundation is a life that is based and lived out of you, God. And we thank you that you love us so much that you would give us that gift. And pray, God, that we would understand better what that gift means and how to be people of peace. And God, we thank you for the continued reminder that this is not just our story, that you have built us and made us in a community, that you see us together, God, as you do individually as well. But the gifts that you call us to are the gifts that look out for each other. And so this gift of peace is for us individually, but it's also a call to be people of peace with each other. So give us eyes to see, God, the brokenness around us, to join you in the work that you are doing to bring shalom, to bring wholeness to all creation. God, we thank you for the gifts that last, and we especially thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in him. And we pray this in your name. Amen.